0: now invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Today we begin the second half of Ephesians, and and there is a transition that takes place here. Uh, The first three chapters dealt with the indicatives of Scripture. Uh, These are things that have to do with who we are, what our identity is in Christ, And they remind us where our salvation comes from and the reality that it has nothing to do with our works. Clearly, Paul wanted to communicate salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it is so dangerous to try to put any hope in our own works. If we put Even the slightest attention on what we do in the wrong way, it can throw us off course. However, it doesn't mean that our works are insignificant, as if they have no value whatsoever. And so this morning, we have a lot to cover, so we're going to jump right into the text this morning, so follow along with me as we read Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. I therefore... when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the reminders that we sung about earlier, Lord. All our hope is in you. You are the solid rock on which we stand. And, Lord, all other ground is sinking sand. And so, Father, we come to you and we look for the authority of your word to penetrate our hearts, Lord. For nothing else matters compared to you and your word. And so, God, would you have your way? Would you penetrate our hearts, Lord? I, I believe strongly that you care deeply for unity. And so, Lord, would you unify us this morning, Lord. Would you help us to see where we are causing disunity within the body? Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted. Change us as we need to be changed, Lord. Thank you for your patience. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we are talking about unity that leads to spiritual maturity. Unity leads to spiritual maturity. And here in verse 1, Paul starts out by saying, I therefore. And of course, we need to see what it is therefore. Therefore is looking back. He's talking in reference to what he previously said. And, and consider all that he said in the first three chapters. In, in light of the fact that you were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. You were predestined to be adopted into God's family. Because you were saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves, not by works so that no one may boast. In light of the fact that you have been unified, not only to Christ, but to one another, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. Because of all of these things, God is able to do, because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Here, here's one thing that Paul understands. He's in prison not because of evil men, although certainly he used evil men to do that. He's in prison because of his faithfulness to the Lord. He, he's not trying to scare them, but he's also trying to acknowledge the fact that, look, you living in a life worthy of your calling may lead you to prison. And I'm here for Christ, and I want you to be bold. He's already prayed previously that they would be strong in their hearts. That they would be able to comprehend the love of God because who knows what they're gonna face? Paul is a prisoner because of his stand for Christ. I, there, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. That word urge, it's not a command. It's not, I command you. This is more of like, I beg you, I plead with you. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. To which you have been called. Now, here we have to be careful. Paul is not saying that the Ephesians must do their best to deserve their status with God through actions. He's not saying, like, you have to earn God's, hey, you got to earn this, what God has given you, you have to do something to earn it. Our status was a gift from God. Paul, Paul understands, it. he wants them, he, he's like, don't, don't look at this as something in order for you to earn, in order for you to feel better, rather just, just, just think about what the effects of your calling should have on your life. How should your calling affect, affect the way that you live your life? You see, one does not come to Christ and stay the same. And even in saying that, it's it's not that you better do something if you are a Christian. That's not what he's saying either. Rather, because of the work that has been done in your life, because the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, you won't be the same. The Spirit will move you to action. He has a call on your life. So what is the calling that we have received? There's a call to holiness. In chapter 1, verse 4, we were chosen by God to be holy and blameless. And here's the incredible news for believers. Holiness is not something we have to achieve. Holiness is something that we've already been proclaimed to be because of our salvation. We are holy because of what Christ did on the cross. And through our faith and repentance, his righteousness has been placed on us. And he has separated us. He has made us holy. Not only are we called to holiness. As I mentioned, uh, let me mention this too before we move on. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 6 speaks of our position in Christ being seated firmly in the heavenlies. We are with Christ in the heavenlies, as our standing goes, that is, we're declared holy. But, but not only are we called to holiness, throughout the first few chapters, there's a call to unity. We have been unified with Christ, but there's also unity that we now experience within the body with one another. And unity, here in chapter 4, is the focus in our passage of Scripture This morning. So, first of all, I want to talk about the heart of unity. Let's talk about the heart of unity. And just to prepare you, we will spend the bulk of our time here in these first three verses. You'll find out here in a minute. This, this, these three verses are loaded with conviction. I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With All humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we have hope that the church would be unified, and I trust that we do, then it starts with living a life worthy of our calling. And here Paul explains what, a worthy, what worthy living looks like. Here in the first three chapters, we see five matters of the heart that lead to worthy living, which will result in unity. The first thing that we see there is having humility. Having humility. What does what sin boil down to? What does all of sin boil down to? What would you say? What one word would you give? Pride. Right? Pride. And if that is the case, what is the biggest contributing factor to disunity? It's pride. Why do we fight with one another? Why do we have quarrels? It's our own pride within us. This is what causes us to be so disunified. So this is a fantastic place. I can't think of a better place than to focus on the fact that we want unity to happen in the church. It starts with humility. Now, Now, what is humility exactly. Humility is, it's really about having a proper view of ourselves before God. It's understanding who we are before God. How does God view us? That is humility. So let's break it down to what it is and what it isn't. First of all, humility is not low self-esteem. It's not tearing yourself apart. It's not looking for as many ways as you can to belittle yourself in front of others it's not thinking less of yourselves rather humility is thinking of yourselves less <laughs> humility is stop thinking about yourself you see some, sometimes we look at people who uh, and, and i would fall into this camp who just like oh i just have nothing to offer poor me i'm so worthless that's not humility humility is just spending less time thinking of myself at all Rather, looking to glorify God in everything that we do. Humility is also not indecisiveness. You ever met someone who, said, who was like, look, who, who am I to say what truth is or isn't? I'm just open to all perspectives. Like, what kind of authority do I have? And, and, I, and I would say, I mean, that, that sort of sounds like humility. But, but that's not humility either. We can be bold with the truth of God's word, and we can do so in all humility. And isn't it true that sometimes standing up for the truth can lead us to become humble? (laughs) The world is not open to the truth of God's word. So indecisiveness is not a sign of humility. We can be bold in the truth and do so in humility. Humility is also not inactivity. I remember the, the parable of the talents? I feel like we've talked about this the last few weeks, but it's so applicable, where the one guy who got one talent, what did he do with it? Went home and buried it. He did nothing to it. And what did the, what did the master say? Oh, good job. You did nothing. No, he said, you wicked servants. Sometimes, and I found myself doing this from time to time, sometimes we can look at like, the diligent, hard workers and think, you're just trying to impress people. You're only working that hard to get, to get favor. You're just trying to get people to see you and lift you up. Well, that, that's not necessarily the case. Just because you're a, a hard worker doesn't mean that you are selfish and you're just trying to prove or earn something. Being diligent doesn't mean you aren't, it, it doesn't mean that you don't do much. You don't do anything. Being a hard worker doesn't mean you are trying to prove or earn something. Just like playing it safe or hiding your talents doesn't mean you are humble. Humility is not inactivity. So what is humility then? It's understanding that you are utterly dependent on God's mercy. What what did Paul just finish explaining in the first three chapters? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, apart from works. Our salvation is an absolute gift. It was done completely by God alone. You added nothing to your salvation but your sin. Humility understands our desperate need for God's mercy. It doesn't mean you head your head, you hang your head in shame all the time but you are aware of what got you where you are. Humility means you aren't concerned with being recognized. Because, you know, anything that you have been praised for are good works which God has already laid out in advance for you that you would walk in them. Remember Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 10? We are his workmanship. So any good works that get recognized by others We have no place to point to except for the Lord because he's laid them out for you. He's allowed you to be noticed by others so that you can give glory to your Father because he's the one who has laid those out for you. Humility isn't concern of being recognized for their own glory. Humility also has absolute trust in God's word. If God's word says it, You believe it, and you obey it. Humility accepts the authority of God's word and rejects their own authority. Humility acknowledges that we don't have the answers, but God's word does. J. Alec Moyer says it well. This, then, is what looms large before the Lord's gaze. Our lowliness before him in worship. Our self-awareness and our painstaking sensitivity to his word. Unity starts with humility. Let me ask you, how, how are you doing with that? Do you see humility in your life? Or is God exposing some pride this morning of perhaps inactivity in your life? Maybe you beat yourself up and feel like the worst person ever and just allow the, just, 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 lay in that bed and, and you think somehow that's humility when it's, you're just spending more time thinking about yourself than you need to. If, if God is revealing anything to you, I encourage you to make a few notes and then come back and repent to the Lord this week. Another matter of the heart mentioned in verse 2, look at there again with all humility and gentleness. Gentleness. Your, your Bible may say meekness. It, it, it's power under control. It's like an adult with a child who, who doesn't know any better, and they're doing childish things, but, but instead of getting angry, the adult is understanding and, and patient, and they correct with gentleness. There's no harsh tone in their response because they're being gentle. They approach them with gentleness and meekness. This is how the Lord approached. You remember the woman at the garden? I think of like or at the at the well, the Samaritan woman. I think of how would we treat someone like that in the church if we found out they've been divorced five times and living with someone who wasn't their husband? Like how would we respond? Now. now Maybe we'd like to think that, oh, the Bible answer, oh, I would love them. But I would would be like, what in the world is wrong with that woman? And yet Jesus approached her with gentleness. He could have destroyed her. And yet he was gentle. If, If we want unity in the church, we have to learn to approach one another with gentleness. If there are two things lacking in our world and often in the church today, it is humility and it is gentleness. How gentle are you with those in your life? How quick are you to remember your life before Christ? How quick are you to recall God's gentleness to you? Even today, even for today's sins, we're called to be gentle. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with Patience. Paul's just hammering us. These three words are enough to convict me for years. You want to live a life worthy of your calling, walk in humility, gentleness, and patience. This is so opposite of our natures, isn't it? (laughs) My my first response isn't always patience. Why are you still dealing with the same issue? Why can't you get past this? Why can't you get over this? Why do we have to keep coming to the same things over and over again? But then you stop and consider how patient God has been with you. I mean, if you just stop for a moment and consider all the ways that you have failed your savior since the time you were saved are you in awe that he would still be loving to you are you amazed that his grace is sufficient are you amazed that he looks at you not with but with like deep sympathy he understands your weakness When when we understand God's patience with us, it should lead us to the place where we are ready and willing, more than able to be patient with those around us. All humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. Just when you're starting to feel bad about yourself it's another ringer out there for you. Notice Paul doesn't just say bearing with one another. We can be good at that, can't we? Like we can put up with each other. We can do that with a frown on our face. We can do that with anger in our hearts. We can do that with bitterness, all the while grumbling under our breath. But Paul is saying bear with one another, be long-suffering, do it in love. Love is patient, kind. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Let me ask you, when you are dealing with people who are hard in your life, how do you approach them? Do you just put up with them or you do so with love? really ties with patience, doesn't it? (laughs) And here's the reality check for all of us. Sometimes you are hard to deal with. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you know what? I am hard to deal with. Don't respond with yes, you are, okay? (laughs) Sometimes we wake up on the wrong side of the bed. And for some of you, there is no right side of the bed. And so you stay in bed all day because, hey, you know what? If I get off, I'm going to get off on the wrong side of the bed. (laughs) We are hard, messy people. There are days when we can be the worst people to deal with. Have you ever just looked in the mirror sometime and think, man, you are pathetic? But God has been long-suffering with us. And because this is true, we can bear with others in love. I've said this before, and I think I'll say it as many times as it comes to mind. God does not roll his eyes at us. Does that not blow your mind? How many times do you roll your eyes at the ones that you love the most? And yet Jesus, with compassion, as dealing with the two-year-old, deals with us in our pity parties with grace and mercy. He'll, he'll discipline us, but he doesn't get annoyed or irritated. That blows my mind mind here's the last matter of the heart verse three eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace let me ask you when is when it when it comes to unity in the church are you eager to maintain it Are you on the edge of your seat, willing to do whatever it takes to keep unity, even after things have been strained, even after you have been wrong? Eager. The word eager means to make every effort, to do it quickly, to do your best. You see, Paul understood how vital it was that they were quick to ensure unity continued. He was saying, don't forget the bond you have through the work of the Spirit. He unified us to God and to one another. And now together we have this peace with God and with one another. Don't forget that bond. And if you see it slipping, be quick to lean into that. Brothers and sisters, I am not always quick to lean into conflict. I run from it too often. But he's saying, be excited to do that. Have one step toward reconciliation even before there needs to be reconciliation. Remember, when we were still enemies is when Christ died for us. He wasn't like, get it right, waiting for us to take the first step to us. We wronged him. He took the first step to us. That's what Paul's saying. I heard, like... Be eager. Be pursuing it with everything you have. Because when we are unified as a church, when we get along and we love one another the way, Christ loved us, it is a picture of the gospel to the world that is desperately looking for a world like that. You ever, like, go to a Christian conference and then you see these people who just, like, the, you're, you're like, this is great. This is the family of God coming together. And then they kind of stiff-arm you when you're trying to, to talk to them, man, that breaks my heart. We have this unity. We have this bond of peace that God has given to us. What an incredible gift he has given us. Be eager to pursue unity. I'm reminded of the time that we moved to Illinois. It was early on, and so we were new to this church, and we're meeting new people and looking to build relationships. And Nikki was talking to a lady, and she was absolutely convinced she was pregnant now ladies what is the one thing that you never do with another woman never assume they are pregnant and so my sweet poor wife went to her and said what are you due and what happened next absolutely mortified her and she said oh i'm not due i'm not pregnant You can imagine how sick she felt after that. And later that day, she literally went to her in tears, apologizing for asking that. To this lady's credit, she said not to feel bad and that she wasn't the only one to ask, as if that would certainly make her feel better. Oh, great, there's more? (laughs) Come to find out that that she was having some kind of uh, allergic reaction to food that gave her a distended stomach. Now, this had the opportunity to break the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This woman could have taken this deeply personal and shunned Nikki for life. But you know what happened the very next week? This this always almost leads me to tears. This dear woman saw Nikki from across the room and made a beeline to her. Basically, you know, asking, how are you? It's so good to see you. Basically saying, look, I'm not going to let this get between us. I am eager to maintain unity. I'm not going to let this come between us. That's what her actions were communicating. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you this. When, When you are wronged by others in the church, how quick are you to pursue unity? Or how easy is it for you to remain bitter, to assume things, and then to allow whatever happens to completely wreck The bond of peace that you have with Christ. Unity, brothers and sisters, is first and foremost a matter of the heart. How is your heart today? Look at verse 4. There is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace, oh, we'll stop there. Here's the next thing I want to talk about. Let's talk about the foundation of unity. The foundation of unity. You see, we, we can find unity in a lot of things, can't we? How many sports fans do we have here? I love going to sporting events. I'm a Notre Dame football fan. You don't have to like Notre Dame football fan. Pretend you're at at somewhere else. But I love going to Notre Dame football stadium. And all of a sudden, you have all these best friends around you. You're high-fiving. You have no idea who their name is. But you have this common foundation, Notre Dame football. How much more of a foundation do we have than the foundation of Jesus Christ? There is one body and one spirit, just as we're called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We don't have many lords. We don't have many opportunities, many ways to salvation. Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me one, one thing that we need to understand when it comes to Christian unity, we can't be unified with those who don't hold Jesus as the only way, the only truth, and the only life. The call to Christian unity means we've got to have the right foundation. If we build our foundation on anything else but on Jesus Christ, if we don't believe or we encounter those who don't believe that Jesus was the true son of God, if we don't believe together that Jesus was God, if we don't believe that Jesus literally died and really rose from the grave, there can't be unity. What separates Christianity from every other religion? It's Jesus Christ. I can't be unified with a Muslim. I can't be Unified with a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon? Because Jesus is not the foundation. The centrality of Christ is not there. And so we can't be unified. Anybody who denies Jesus as Lord and Savior, who denies him as God himself, anyone who denies the death and resurrection cannot be unified with us. Our foundation is completely different. Let me read Matthew chapter 7 for you here. Matthew 7, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and this is a familiar passage with you. He says this in verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the, the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. If you get the foundation wrong, the house crumbles. There is no unity where there is a different foundation. This is why why scripture says uh, for us as husband and wife, don't be unequally yoked. Because if you hold Christ as supreme and your spouse spouse doesn't, can you have Christian unity? You may get along well and Lord willing, that is the case, but you can't have Christian unity. Jesus says, don't be friends with the world. James 4.4 says this. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So this is what it means. We can't link arms with unbelievers in the sense that like, we're going to hold everything in common. We're going to fellowship together. But here's where, the, here's where the church gets it wrong. This is not to say, away with you. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. That's not what we're talking about here. My, my heart is burdened for the disunity amongst the different dom- denominations who would hold to the supremacy of Christ. I loved what uh, one of our former pastors said. In the, he would say this at, at every service. In the essentials, unity. Unity. We must be unified in the essential truths. In the non-essentials, liberty. And here's where, here's where we get it wrong. And in all things, charity. In all things, love. You see, we can, we can as Christians get the foundation right and yet cause havoc amongst unbelievers because we're not treating them with love. We've, we've forgotten the heart of unity. We don't respond with humility. Oh, we love the truth. We love winning arguments. We love shaming people for what they believe so that what we believe is lifted high. But if we do these things, if we have faith to move mountains, if we speak in the tongues of angels and yet have not love, what are we? Nothing. Brothers and sisters, it is essential that we have the same foundation, but we must understand that we must communicate in a way That is loving in a way that shows Christ is central in our hearts. We can't forget what verse 15 says. Just jumping ahead a little bit, but it says, speaking the truth in love. So let me ask you, first and foremost, do you have a solid foundation? Is your foundation stable and firm. Second of all, when you disagree with others, when you have conversations with unbelievers, do you disagree from a place of love? Do you disagree from a place of humility, gentleness, patience? There are times when where unity won't happen. But may it only be because of the foundation that is different rather than the way that we respond that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. First of all, we must understand the heart of unity. We have to build our unity on the the proper foundation. Now let's talk about the responsibility of unity. The reality is we all share this responsibility. God has gifted us, it says. When he ascended on hand, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now it speaks specifically here to to gifts of of, of word. God has gifted me to preach to you, to open up God's word and deliver God's word to you. That's my responsibility. But we know, and according to In 1 Peter chapter 4, God has gifted every believer. Each and every Christian here has been gifted in some way, and you are called to use that gift to serve the body. You have a responsibility to maintain unity. Listen, if you are here and all you do is receive and receive and receive, you're not going to contribute to the unity of the body. We are called all mutually to give and to receive. God's gifted you. Let me ask you. Are you holding up your end of the deal? Are you serving the body with your giftedness? Are you serving using your gifts to foster Further unity. And that leads us here to the last point. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let, let's speak now. Let's close with the goal of unity. The goal of unity. Some This isn't working, guys. I'm not sure why it's not advancing. The goal of unity. And the goal of unity here is Christian maturity. You know, you've heard it said that it takes a village to raise a child. I think it takes a church to raise a believer. We don't exist to surround ourselves with people who make life easier for us. We aren't here to create a space to be around people who look just like us, who don't make us feel uncomfortable. The church isn't some kind of country club, which means it's going to be hard, which means sometimes we're going to have to go to somebody and say, man, you're not getting it right You're falling short. And the reason we do that is from a place of love, out of humility, out of gentleness. We have the foundation of Christ. You've already proclaimed it, so I'm coming to you and saying, brother, sister, I want to see you mature in Christ. I want to see you grow up into him. The goal of unity is to help one another become more like Christ. And in this passage, Paul paints a picture of what maturity looks like. Verse 14, let me read it again. So that we may, be, may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Have you, ever, have you ever said something to a kid to just kind of mess with them? Like it's not true, but you're just trying to mess with them because you know they'll believe it? Well, neither have I. I've never done that. <laughs> I remember as a kid... Uh, my buddy and I, I don't know, we were 10 years old, and we were playing with darts in our basement. Not the cheap plastic tip ones, the metal darts, right? That's what you, you got to play with. Those are the real darts. And uh, 10-year-old boys with metal darts is probably not a good thing. And uh, we didn't care because we are 10-year-old boys, and we don't, we don't think, right? And so lo and behold, I went to throw a dart, and I wasn't paying attention to him, and he stepped right in front of the dartboard. And I stuck him right in the ear, like a perfect piercing, free of charge. <laughs> and, and I was mortified. Of course, he starts bawling, and my mom's got to call his mom to come pick him up. And one of my stinking brothers, he told me, like, Ben, he's going to die. You, you, you killed him. Like, he's not going to make it from this. And, and I remember as a 10-year-old boy... That, later that night, we went to uh, my dad's softball game, and I'm just spinning around on the marrow ground looking up thinking, I just killed my friend today. Like, <laughs> what am I going to do? As children, we can be so deceived by what others say. And we can find ourselves, our ears being tickled by what people think, and, and we can find ourselves surrounding ourselves with people who say the things that we want to hear. And this is why we need other Christians in our life. This is why we gather on Sunday morning to make sure, are we holding true to the Word of God? We, we want to become mature. We want to be able to fight off those things. And the more we study Scripture, the more we study strip- Scripture together, the less likely we are to give in to these things. The less likely we are to be thrown back and forth by the waves. If you've been saved for... A long period of time, hopefully, like me, you've been able to look back and think, you know what, I might have fallen for that 10 years ago. But God's matured me. And it's because of being in fellowship with other believers. There's no way I would get to where I'm at today if not for walking alongside other people and people walking alongside me. We need to protect ourselves and protect one another to help each other grow in maturity. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we are to do so by speaking the truth in love. Not just speaking the truth. Doesn't matter how I say it. Truth is truth. Yeah, it does matter, actually, how you say it, according to Scripture. That we say we speak in love to speak the truth only in an unloving way, is brutality. To just be loving is hypocrisy if we're not willing to speak the truth. If you're like me, you, you, let's hug it out all day long, but man, if i got to tell you the hard truth, that's going to hurt. I don't want to do that. And yet, in order to maintain Christian unity, in order to reach the goal of Christian unity, Sometimes we have to speak the truth, but it must always be from a heart of love. It must always be from a place of humility. If you've got a log in your own eye, don't try to take a speck out of somebody else's eye. We need to speak from a place of love and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And what happens, church? What happens when we get the heart of unity right? What happens when we have laid the right foundation on Christ alone? What happens when we take on our responsibility and we are serving the body with the gifting that God has given us? What happens when we are pursuing the same goal of Christ-likeness, of spiritual maturity? Verse 15 and 16 happens. We grow up in every way into him who is the head into christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love brothers and sisters let me ask you how are you helping bringing unity to the church? How are you handling it when people sin against you? Are you eager to maintain that unity, that bond of peace that is ours in Christ? May, may we be a church that holds Christ high as our supreme, as the foundation. May we serve one another and may we speak the truth in love in order to help one another grow up into Christ. Each and every believer has a part to play in that. And may God keep us faithful in that. Let's pray. Father, I felt so rushed there at the, towards the end there. But I, I pray for each of us here, Lord, that we would take into consideration, Lord, what, what, what do you have for us from this? Lord, are we approaching things from a place of disunity, Lord, with a lack of humility and a lack of patience, lack of gentleness, not really bearing with one another in love? Lord, are we just kind of sitting back and not doing our parts? Perhaps we we have this false humility that, oh, we don't have anything to offer. Lord, that's not humility at all. That's not allowing you to work through us, Lord. It's you who who deserves all the glory. God, I'm burdened for the church. Lord, just in general, uh, the, the amount of fight, I, I thank you, Lord. I don't see much of that here, but Lord, I'm not naive to think that, first of all, my own heart can go sideways. Lord, It is so easy to fight when something goes awry. But I pray, Lord, that we would be so eager to pursue unity, that we would be so quick to lean into other people, even when it's hard, even when we've been hurt, Lord. So often we don't take the time to hear where people are at. We don't take the time to hear people's stories. And so we just assume things. We just assume what's on the outside is what is on the inside. And, Lord, often uh, something bad on the outside is a reflection of something hurting on the inside. Lord, give give us the grace and humility and mercy to pursue one another when there seems to be disunity. So that, Lord, we can show the world what salvation looks like. What the gospel looks like. Father, we need your help in this. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you a few things that you can ponder this week. Uh, I encourage you to memorize those first three verses of Ephesians. Just remember what we're called to do. Like to, we need God's help, don't we? I think this is why Paul prayed what he prayed in, in verse, uh, chapter 3 about strengthening the inner being. The, the ability to comprehend the incomprehensibleness of God's love. Because it is so different than our nature. And so we need God's grace to respond in humility. Because our, our, we want to stand up, right? And our pride, we need God's grace. So may that be an encouragement to you. It's not as much as it, as it looks like. I know memorizing can be hard, but it'll be an encouragement to you. Uh, we're just going to keep these reading through scripture, reading where we're at. I think it's just helpful to prepare your heart for what's next. So I encourage you just spend some time reading through Ephesians 4. Look at the whole of Ephesians four together. It'll be helpful as we uh, look at the second part of chapter four there. And then, third question: How can you help maintain unity? How can you foster humility in your spheres of influence? I'm, I am, I am so burned. I just got. I'm in the process of almost finishing this this memoir by a Christian lady who basically has been ostracized from her denomination. And I, and I. A lot of it just has to do with, like, people just aren't willing to lean into other people. We just assume things. We assume people believe stuff, and uh, it, it's just, it, I've had a heavy heart. Not, not, like, necessarily towards our church, but just a heaviness towards the lack of unity I see often and how quickly we are just to abandon one another. And, and I just want us to be different. I want us to stick it out when it's hard. Like, we're not called to, to build this country club where it's just easy to be around one another. I pray that it comes to that point. Like, there is a sense, and as I grow in Christ, it's easy to be around rough people because I just understand, man, I'm a mess. And so, uh, just consider, how can you help maintain unity. Perhaps there's, there's friction with somebody in your life. Perhaps there's fr- friction with somebody who, who's a part of this church that you just need to pursue that. You need to work it out because you are eager to do so. I really struggled with, like, condensing as you can see I felt so rushed the last few verses there but so I'm sorry to preach a whole other sermon here but my heart's burdened for that we pursue unity and then lastly use your gifts how, how has God gifted you how has he equipped you uh, use what God has given you to serve the church friends as a reminder we would love to pray with you after the service Mark and I will be up here um aaron i know you got to run if you if, if you're around a little bit you could pursue him but find somebody to pray with if you just see someone to find encouragement from uh if has even if it has nothing to do with the sermon you're just burdened you're carrying a burden for uh, someone else don't even if you feel like somebody has already prayed for it before like if it's heavy on you don't leave without asking someone to pray for you uh, we are the light right you are the light of the world the city on a hill cannot be hidden so let your light shine so that others may see your good works And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Have a great week.